if you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, we'll start at verse 21. Actually, we're going to go back a little before that, but we'll start with 21. Ephesians 5, beginning at verse 21. Oops, excuse me here, let me clean my glasses off a bit. 521 says, Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Amen. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we ask you now to open our hearts and minds to your word, and we pray, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, that you would open your word to us, to our hearts and minds. Teach us, Lord, we pray. Speak to us from the scriptures. Apply it to our hearts that we might serve you in an acceptable manner and understand what you have declared in Holy Scripture. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. So we come to this passage, it starts off, uh, it began at verse 21, and actually the paragraph, the new paragraph, probably really starts at verse 22, because verse 21 is a continuation of what's been said before. But it's an extremely important verse, verse 21, because if we don't understand what that's saying, we're going to get everything that follows wrong more than likely. It starts off by saying, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now that's not a complete sentence, actually, if you look at it, is submitting, that's a participle. And it, it, you know, sentences have, generally speaking, a, what we call a main verb. That's the main thing you're saying about something. And then we have other things that qualify that, you know, adjectives and such things that uh, modify nouns, adverbs, tell us certain things. But then we, then we also have participles that uh, add on and show us the conditions or the circumstances of what's being said. So we see the word submitting, that, that I-N-G word in English, it's easy to spot as a participle. But if we go back, we find there's other participles being used. Uh, giving thanks in verse 20 for all things to God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ. Well, that's also telling us to be doing something, but we don't yet have the main verb. And then we go back in verse 19, we're told to speaking again, an I-N-G word there. Those are the easy type of participles to spot. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing. There's another one. 
uh, and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So we have these four things that we're told to do, speaking to yourselves in songs of praise, really that's what that's saying, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, uh, singing and praising. So we're to be singing God to God, and it says making melody, literally it's making music, melody in your heart. It's related, it comes from the word for psalms, uh, psalo, which means to pluck a stringed instrument. So, um, but it's in your heart. So it means to make music in, in your heart. So there's a really joyful picture here of being uh, serving and being in God's service. And then again, the, the uh, third thing we see is giving thanks. So we're to be filled with thanksgiving for all things in our circumstances. We can trust God. Paul says, and everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So the blessings we have no problem giving thanks for. Okay, when you know we get presents and prizes and you know things that, that happen that are good, we can say, hey, praise God. But it's a little hard to remember what Job did because when we have adversity or loss or sadness, you know, we have to be like Job in his better form when he said, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We need to learn to give thanks and say, okay, Lord, this thing itself may not be good, but I'm going to trust you to bring good out of it and to bring me out of all my troubles. So we can actually give thanks to God for everything. And notice to the God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, because we've been redeemed and bought by Jesus. So we can give thanks. And then finally, sub submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now, he's going to go on and talk about family relationships, but it's important to recognize here he's not exempting anyone from this idea of submission. All right. There has to be a mutual submission among Christians. Now, he's going to apply it to four categories after this to wives, to husbands, to parents, to children, actually that parent-children relationship, and then also to uh, masters and servants, uh, because at, at that time in the Greco-Roman world, there were bond servants that were held, in, and members considered, at least in Christian homes, considered to be members of the household and family, and that's why when households were baptized, the husband, the wife, the children, and the servants were baptized. And so, um, that becomes pretty clear as Paul's addressing here baptized Christians in Ephesians. And if you look at chapter 6, verse 1, uh, it's not a stretch to say, oh, children there. Okay, Paul alludes to the saints being baptized. In Colossians, he does the same thing. And I'm not going to be preaching on infant baptism right now. But it's very important to recognize children have always been considered part of God's covenant and partakers of whatever initiatory sacraments there were. Testament or the sacrifices that were offered for both boys and uh, children. Remember, that after a certain amount of days, they were to go to the, the tabernacle or the temple and offer a sacrifice for the newborn child, which was kind of an Old Testament uh, sacrament. It was an offering that was appointed by God. It pointed to the work of Christ. Children were included in that, both boys and girls. And here we find children mentioned. But today, you know, our concern is with wives and husbands. That's the main thing. But as I mentioned, we've got all these participles. So what's the main verb? This is a long sentence. Paul was good at that because he had a lot to say. Well, if we go back to verse 15, we find several commands, all right? See then that you walk circumspectly. Remember, we talked about that in weeks past. That means walk accurately, precisely, uh, not as fools, but as wise. You know, don't just go around bouncing off life and being stupid. Uh, be wise, walk accurately, accurately according to what? Those of you who are involved in any kind of building or engineering or carpentry, you know accuracy is not optional. 
Okay, when you measure whether it's a, a board or your, you know, some of you guys build roads and some of us, you know, uh, got a well digger here and some other things. It's important, you know, if you put it at an angle, what happens? It doesn't go where you, if, unless you're trying to get water off somebody else's property. <laughs> That's called slant drilling, I think. Uh, oil oil uh, people have done that in the past, sometimes gotten in trouble for it. Um, but, you know, you don't do that. You drill accurately, you build accurately. You know, if you're cutting a board, you know, someone says we need a board that is 27 inches. You don't go, ah, okay, I'll get it. It's close enough, you know. Here, this one, I don't know, it's not maybe not 27, but it's close enough, you know, and uh, I'm sure the guy that's building out, he'll understand, you know. That's, that's, you wouldn't do that, okay? You engineers, when you're figuring out, you know, how to build things, you do it right, you do it precisely, precisely. Um, like if you're building a bridge, you have to account for when it gets hot and it expands, when it gets cold, it shrinks. Am I right, Eric? Okay, there's a bridge builder right there, okay? Uh, you got to know these things, okay? And you have to do it precisely. And as Christians, we have to do the same thing. We're to walk precisely. Well, I don't want to re-preach the two weeks ago sermon, but it's important. You know, you're to walk accurately by the standard of God's word. Anyone that builds a house or puts a well in or, you know, builds a bridge or whatever you're doing, if you're making a recipe or if you're working on it, you do it precisely, okay? Remember the old Chilton Manual, those of you that, you know, when you're learning how to work on cars, it's a good idea to have one nearby. I don't even know if they still, I guess they publish those. Most everybody goes online now and looks at a tutorial to figure stuff out. But it used to be, you know, you got the book out, you looked at it, and you did it exactly the way they said. Uh, and that's because they had the all the plans for the car and everything else. You know, when they build airplanes and rocket ships, they do it according to the plan, what's written. The same thing's true of the Christian life. And that's a very important. And it actually comes up later in the chapter. So we are to walk accurately. The Greek word is akribos, akribos rather. And uh, it's clearly related to the word accurate in English. And so that's how you're to walk. And so don't be foolish. Learn what the Bible says. And you say like, well, where do I start? Start with the Ten Commandments. Okay, start with the Ten Commandments. When you get those memorized and pray about them, then go to the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew. But start at the book of Genesis and read through the Bible. Find out what has God said? What does he say in his word? And understand now that you got to know the New Testament to know how certain things apply in the Christian life uh, from the Old Testament. But God's word is valid. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. So all of it is necessary and a blessing to us. And that's how God instructs us, that we're to be covenant keepers and walk accurately. And he says, redeeming the time. There's one of those I-N-G words. So when you walk accurately, you're redeeming the time. Paul's saying, don't waste your time. Do it right. What happens if you don't follow the plan? Let's say you're trying to build a house, okay? And you don't bother to look at the blueprint. What do you have to do? You end up having to go back and redo it, huh? And what a waste of time that is. And when people build their lives, they ignore God's law. They think, well, I know God doesn't approve of this, but I like it. Or it seems to be popular, so uh, whatever it is. And you go on, and then pretty soon you find, whoa, what a mistake that was. That was a path I never should have gone down. And then you have to go retrace your steps, spiritually, I'm talking about, and go to God and say, Lord, please forgive me and get my feet back into the path of righteousness. So redeeming the time. Don't waste your time. Why? Because the deeds are evil. There's plenty of false paths to get in on. Well, that's not the main verb of what we're looking at. Okay. Then he says, therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. All right. There's a command. 
And the main verb there would be uh, do not be unwise, okay, and also understand what the will of the Lord is. But then we come to verse 18. Do not be drunk with wine. There's a command, so don't be getting drunk with wine, in which is dissipation. The Greek word there, it means uh, a waste of time, useless. It's uh, riotous living, okay? Um, dissipation is a big $2 word. The old King James, which is so hard to understand, according to some, uh, it has, uh, do not be drunk with wine, which is excess. I don't know. Excess seems a lot easier than the word dispensation for, or dissipation for some of us. Uh, but, but then he says this, but be filled with the Spirit. There's your main verb. Be filled with the Spirit. How does that manifest itself? Well, some would say, well, you need to speak in gibberish and jump around and dance and, you know, stand up and start saying, thus says the Lord, and just say whatever comes into your mind and trust that it's God. No, that's how false prophets function, and um, that's not the way the Holy Spirit fills a person. Now, you might jump around a little bit sometimes and just enjoy, okay, like the man who was leaping and uh, praising God when they healed him up. But we're to speak to one another, we're told here, in psalms and hymns and spiritual song. That's the first thing. Then you have these four things. How does being filled with the Spirit manifest itself? All right. And by the way, if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit in your life. God has given his spirit, as Paul said earlier, as the seal, the guarantee, the earnest of your salvation. If you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit in your life. You don't need to have some extra miraculous experience. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, first of all, you can't do that apart from the Holy Spirit working in you. So if you can say today, okay, struggling as I may be, ignorant as I might possibly be, maybe way more than I realize, I do love Jesus. I am trusting in him as my Savior. You can't do that without the Holy Spirit because that's God's gift. For by grace are you saved through faith. Grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. So if you can say today, I believe in Jesus. Well, that's God's work in you. Jesus said, no man can come to me except the Father who has sent me draw him. And if you can say, well, I've come to Jesus. Well, that's God the Father himself brought you out of death into life. Remember Paul said in chapter 2, you were dead in trespasses and sins, and he made you alive. You know, And so that you're being quickened by him. So it's all of grace. It's his work. And so we are to be filled with the Spirit. So how does it manifest itself? Well, one in... Uh, speaking to one another, that means being in fellowship with God's people, because notice it's not just speaking, it's uh, speaking to one another. So you've got to be around other Christians, uh, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So you've got to have a knowledge of God's word. You've got to you know, know enough con uh, gospel content to be able to praise God um, and know the psalms well enough and know the rest of the scriptures so you can praise God according to his word. And hymns and spiritual songs, that is those things that the Holy Spirit quickens us to do. Some would uh, read this as psalms, psalms, and, and psalms, um, spiritual, because they say, well, spiritual means it must be inspired scripture. And if you look elsewhere, Paul said in, in Galatians, if a man is overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. He didn't say you who are infallible and inspired. He just meant those who are being guided and directed by the Holy Spirit. And that's what this means. So you can actually praise God. I love singing the Psalms, but some people who insist that that's the only thing you can sing. It's like, so we can never mention Jesus actually in the, in the song in our praises? Well, no, because it's not in the Psalter. And it's like, I think that God's called us to something other than that. 
Um, and so we're to sing and praise God in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and, and very thankful that we can do that. And then he says, how to do singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So how does the Holy Spirit's presence manifest itself in your life when you're filled with the Spirit? Well, you're going to be speaking to each other, singing, making melody in your heart, giving thanks to God. That's how this works, okay? You're going to be a thankful person. Now, if you think someone owes you something, generally, if you say thank you when like someone pays a debt, you might be being polite when you say that. But, you know, someone would say, well, I don't necessarily have to really be all that thankful if a person just paying a debt. Well, if you, some of my friends, whenever I got paid back, I was always very thankful because, oh, look, an unexpected gift, okay? Um, they say, what's the old saying? If you want to destroy a man's memory, loan him a book, you know? Um, so, you know, sometimes when you get the book back, it's like, wow, thank you. This is really great. I never thought I'd see this again. You don't want to be too enthusiastic. Then, what do you mean? You think I was going to pay you back? Uh, but we want to be thankful to God. A thankful heart is when you realize I don't deserve anything I have. You know, when I said last week, count your blessings, as the old hymn says, name them one by one. That's a really important song. When you do, when you get finished counting, just realize that you absolutely deserve none of those blessings. They have all given to you by God's grace because he loves you in spite of your sins. And he provided his son to take your sins away so that he could bring you back home. Wow. What, what, what's the response of being filled with the spirit? Giving thanks. You know, and when you're filled with the spirit, the Holy Spirit came to glorify Jesus Christ. So if you're filled with the spirit, as it says in Colossians, you know, the parallel passage is, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in, in all wisdom, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So the equivalent of being filled with the Spirit is having Christ's word dwell in you richly. That means you love the scriptures. On that basis, you can give thanks to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, because everything you have received that is good is from the Lord God Almighty through his Son, your Savior, Jesus Christ. And then we come to this phrase. So, you know, we're like, hey, this is great. And then submitting, whoa, wait a minute. What do you mean submitting? Okay, that's kind of scary. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Okay. Now, we come to that. And so one of the aspects of being filled with the Holy Spirit is a mutual submission. Now, I know he's going to say, wives, submit to your own husbands, and that's a true, proper form in a family. Um, but the husbands are told to love their wives as Christ also loved the church. You know, and so, it, gentlemen, if you want your wives to submit to you, you have to be an example of what submission is. Think about this, okay? Uh, if your wife and your children... Let's assume you've got a lousy example of, of submission, okay? Uh, if you're not in submission to the Lord, and if that's not manifesting itself by listening to others and being gentle with them, and maybe even assuming that you could be wrong and they could be right. Remember, you know, the story of the, the woman that married Mr. Right, she said, and then she found out after they were married that his first name was Always, okay? Uh, and, you know, that's sad. But it's, it's all too true, particularly in the church, because we read this passage and it really gets abused a lot. So, husbands, you have to set an example of submission for your family to follow. So if your wife and children follow your, let's say, lousy and bad example of submission, what sort of submission should you expect? How have you demonstrated to your family, husbands, submission? Do you listen to what they have to say? Do you care about what they say? Do their concerns, their insights, does that mean anything to you? 
or is it just my way or the highway? That's all too often in Christian homes, not just in this church. I've seen it in other churches where I've pastored. And it's something we all, all of us guys, because we, we like this idea, oh, my wife's got to submit to me. And we really abuse that horribly. The husband is the head of the wife. Okay. But you know what my head does for the rest of my body? It makes sure it's healthy and happy. All right. You can look at me see it. I'm pretty happy. Okay. Um, a husband's supposed to, when it says submit to one another in the fear of God, note that qualifier there. It's not just submit to one another. It means in the fear of God, that what is right before the Lord, for there to be that mutual, loving, gentle submission. The one, one thing that's wonderful about marriage is it's one of the three creation ordinances. All right. A creation ordinances is something that ordinance rather is something that God put into place before the fall. Those three things are marriage, Adam and Eve in the garden, before there was sin in the world, marriage was ordained. The second thing is labor. Now, with the fall, there was a curse annexed to it. But in Christ, for believers, that's lifted up. Our labor is in the Lord. Our work is in the Lord. Uh, but labor, labor is a good thing. And the, the thing is the Sabbath, one day in seven, set aside for the Lord. And also, first and foremost, resting in Christ. All right. So those three things were put in place before there was any sin in the world. So your work, your Sabbath rest. For Christians, that's the Lord's Day. And your marriage. That's interesting. You know, it's like, you know, you've seen the milking stools. They have three little legs on them. Take one of those legs off and see how much stability you have. Okay? You're like, well, I don't milk cows. But that's not the point. Okay? The point is, is that you have those three legs. It makes it stable. You remove one of them. All of a sudden, you have instability. And so when people say, well, I don't have to work. Or I don't have to keep the Lord's Day holy. Or, uh, you know, I don't care about my marriage. Well, all of a sudden you have all this instability in your life. And if you take, you know, two of them out or all three of them out, you're going to be flat on the ground. Okay. And that's the way some people are. So husband, what kind of an example are you setting? Are you following uh, Ephesians 5.21? Be assured that your wives and children will follow your example of submission for good or ill. If they see you as never yielding, never submitting, never listening to others, they're going to follow your example. So don't be surprised when they ignore you. If they see you yielding to the uh, perspective of others, or if they see you never yielding to it, uh, or never listening to their concerns, or you acting as if you are infallible and never need to hear or follow anyone's counsel but your own, don't be surprised when you find them no longer listening to you, nor interested in what you say uh, or what you have to tell them, or what you suggest they might do. They're simply following your example because you never taught them by example what mutual submission is. And so you've taught them that by your own self-will and contempt for their thoughts and concerns. I'm speaking to all the guys here. We all have to work on this because of sin. We're all prone to like take this and say, hey, that means that my wife's got to do everything I say, no matter what it is. And she's not allowed to question me. <laughs> Any wife here? knows yeah right that's not going to happen guys that's why it says submitting to one another in the fear of god here's a, here's a big you know one thing i've learned in marriage counseling is very interesting thing over the years not so much in this congregation so i'm not picking on anyone here directly but if it applies please take it okay it's from the lord it's been amazing to me in talking to husbands that are having problems in their marriage what i've explained to them is that you know your wife is actually also in the image of god 
they're like, well, yeah, I knew that. And then you, you do you really? And eventually they're like, all right, I guess I really didn't have that in front of me. They don't see their wives as an image bearer of Christ. And if you read in the scriptures, when God made man, he made him male and female in the image of God made he them. Your wife is an image bearer of Christ. She has value. Her opinions do count. Granted, you know, as a husband, can you say no to your wife sometimes in the fear of God? Yeah, but you better listen to her. And if you're always saying no to anything she says you don't agree with, then you got a problem. Because that probably means you're, you're not in mutual submission, however you want to justify it based on this passage. So we find here that if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, what kind of person are you going to be? I don't think any of us question. Well, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to love Jesus. You're going to love others. Okay, That's what God wants to bring into your home. He wants your wives to be happy. Okay, You know, the Psalms talk about that, that your wife is happy. Read Proverbs 31. That's a woman that's prosperous, that's laboring. Her husband trusts her. Her husband rises up. And it doesn't say her husband rises up and criticizes her or explains to her everything she's doing wrong. Okay? Her husband rises up and praises her, it says. Why? Because he sees God's work in her and he's thankful for it. So wives, yes, you know, you are to submit to your husband. That simply means, I think, pretty clearly, it means listen to your husband and serve him, okay, as a Christian would serve another. And wives have that special relationship to their husbands. But husbands, that doesn't mean that your wife becomes your slave. There's nothing in these verses that allow for slavish, abject bondage of servile submission to the tyrannical demands of an abusive and unloving and uncaring, egotistical husband. There we go. That's a whole mouthful, huh? This is a submission born of love and compassion and goodwill towards others that results in mutual joy and yielding of one's will for the good of the other. Husbands and wives must first learn to submit to each other. That is, they must learn to listen to each other and willingly yield in their plans and prerogatives for the respect they hold in love for each other in Christ. Okay? Now, the problem in our culture is you've got the feminist movement that is trying to destroy the family and basically tells women, you don't have to listen to your husband, etc. And then guys, particularly Christians, they react to that. And they go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's not what the Bible says. And you're right. The Bible doesn't say what uh, the radical feminists are saying. Okay, They're out to destroy lives. But when you have godly women who love their husbands, who listen to them, and you have godly husbands who love their wives and listen to them, and they're both going to God in prayer and in fellowship and in love and in encouragement, you're going to have a happy home. And so mutual submission is foundational to what Paul is saying here. That's why verse 21, here you go for you mathematicians, verse 21 comes before verse 22. All right, there we go. You say, what did you learn in church? I learned that verse 21 comes before verse 22. Although that's not necessarily the way he preached it, but that's what it's, it's mathematically, that's what it is, okay? There's to be that mutual submission. And then in that context, there's no way you're going to stop a wife from biblically submitting to her husband because she's got a guy that listens to her and that loves her. You've got She's got a husband that, that is willing to yield on non-essential issues. And if he thinks it's really important, he's going to talk to her to persuade her. He's not going to just say, thus saith husband, so thou must just obey. He's not going to do that, all right? Why? Well, because husbands, you're to love your wife. Look at this. Love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. 
What is God calling you to do? Christ loved the church. And he gave himself where he died. He underwent hell for his wife that he might sanctify and cleanse her. Why? Because he saw value in her. Okay. Uh, that's We're talking about the full body of, of the visible church and the invisible church, the church triumphant and militant. Triumphant to saints in heaven, militants, the saints still on earth fighting. That's why it's called militant. Uh, that he might sanctify and cleanse her. By the way, note here, there are some that will say, well, there's no church except the local church. And I've heard guys try to say this, okay? Some Baptist groups teach this, that the only church is the local church. This idea that there's one universal church, why that's just not taught in the Bible. Really? You ever read Ephesians chapter 5? Because Paul's talking about the church universal, the church as a whole, very clearly. He's not talking about, well, the congregation in Ephesus, not the whole church, God's people. And that's So we see that. So we are part of Christ's body. Christ loved the church. That is all his people viewed collectively. Uh, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Okay, that's regeneration. So, oh, well, that's baptism. No, beloved, the word is what cleanses. We're cleansed by the word. If you could, like one of the reformers said, if you confound the sacrament with the thing it represents, you've overthrown it being a sacrament and you've created an idol. That's all sacramentalism does because, oh, you know, the water saves you. No, it doesn't, you know. Uh, Peter even referred to the sow that was washed, returned to wallowing in the mire. What happened? Well, you know, because you can wash a pig. If it's still a pig, it's going to go back to the muck. The idea is that you can be baptized. If you're unregenerate, you're not really saved. You're not really trusting in Jesus. Your baptism means nothing. And so it's important to recognize that. The washing of water by the word, the regeneration that takes place. In Titus, Paul refers to the washing of regeneration. He didn't say the regeneration of washing. He said the washing of regeneration is the $2 way of saying being born again, okay? Um, Regeneration, reborn. The Greek can be translated either way there. Um, The washing of regeneration. When you're born again, you're brought out of death into life. You're brought out of all the filth of your sin, and the blood of Jesus Christ is applied to you by the Holy Spirit. As you hear the gospel and God pronounces you clean, your your sin is forgiven. But note here, Christ loved the church. He died for the church that he might sanctify and cleanse you with the washing of water. By the way, why? Because he loves the church. And here's something wrapping. He wants the church to be happy. He wants the church to be filled with the spirit, singing praises, uh, loving one another, giving thanks to God the Father, and living in mutual submission. That is in fellowship where the value of your brother or sister's opinion means something to you. And if their heart is sad, that means something to you also. You want to hear why. You want to be able to help them. And if you're the cause of it, you want to stop and see what you can do to make things better. And so he says that he might present her to himself a glorious church. Christ loves his people, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Christ's will for the church is that we be in eternity before him, with him, sinless. So we're not bothered by sin. And our hearts are filled with love to God and to one another, all because of Jesus. This is why he died for us. And then he says, so husbands, he makes application now, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So you're to love your wife, and you're to love your wife in such a way that she knows that she's loved. He says, for no one ever hated his own flesh. That is no one... It was healthy, uh, mentally healthy. 
you may say, well, what about people that hurt themselves? Well, okay, they're they're generally having, they're going through some psychological stuff. You want to be gentle with them. But normally we want to work toward a healthy mind so that no one's trying to hurt themselves. But, but he says here, no one ever hated his own flesh. And that's a standard basic principle. Nobody, we would say, in their right mind. Uh, but nourishes and cherishes it. That is, you know, if you nourish someone, you make sure it's healthy. If you cherish it, that means you put a high value on it. Okay, you prize it. You don't treat it with contempt. But he says he nurtures and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. Here's an interesting thing. You know, we love Jesus, right? Because he loved us. Husbands, you're to love your wife as Christ loved the church. You say, well, he's Lord. He's God Almighty, right? That's what that means. That's how I should be acting. What happens when you go to the Lord and pray and you talk to him? He hears your prayers. Right? One of the reasons why we love the Lord is because he died for us, rose again because of his goodness and grace. But another reason is because he hears us when we go to him. God listens to your prayers. Husbands, if your wife's talking to you, and I fail on this all too often, so we won't go there. But um, you know, wives, make sure you have your husband's attention, okay, when you talk to him. His nose is buried in a book. <clears throat> uh, you know, get his attention first. Uh, like the one guy said, you know, my wife seems to start every conversation we have with, are you even listening? Um, <laughs> husbands, listen to your wives. Why? Because Christ listens to his church. He listens to his bride. And he doesn't dismiss everything she says as if it's foolishness. And he doesn't tell her, no, you only do what I say. I don't want to hear what you have to say. Your opinion doesn't matter. Oh, my, that would be rather foolish to do that. huh? We love the Lord because he hears our prayers. All right. Uh, the Lord loves his church and cherishes it. Okay, He puts a high value on it. Obviously, he died for us. So he puts a pretty high value on what he's going to do and make of us. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Paul says, for this reason, quotes from Genesis now. He says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, literally forsake his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This has to do with the physical relationship in marriage. It also has to do when children are born, you know, because your children have both your DNA, all right? And the two shall become one flesh. But the idea is that, you know, you're to function as a unit in a family, okay? This is a great mystery, he says. That in other words, there's more to this than just what meets the eye. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, so he says the real truth here, you know, Paul, when he mentions Jesus, he wants to talk about Jesus, Uh he said, this is a great mystery. He said, I'm really expressing to you Christ's relationship to the church. There are certain things husbands are to follow. There's other things, though, that we can't follow. You know, you, you uh, can't save your wife from sin. All right. You can speak truth to her and you can love her. You can listen to her. You can encourage her. You can work to see that she's happy in the right way. Uh, but there's certain things that only Christ can do. You know, you can't give your wife the Holy Spirit. Jesus can give his bride the Holy Spirit, and he's done that. So he says, I'm speaking, this is this is greater than what I'm talking about. That's why it's called a mystery. All right, but he says, then finally he concludes, nevertheless, okay, let's get back down to the problem, the practical aspect of this. Let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Okay, so there's to be that love and respect in a relationship 
but it all is born out of that main verb that went before we started looking at verse 22. And the main verb is be filled with the Spirit. And then we have those four participles that tell us how that's to manifest itself. Then we go and talk about marital relationships. So husbands, you want to have a happy home? Be filled with the Spirit. Focus on that. Have your heart filled with God's word, singing and praising God, giving thanks to God, being in mutual submission. Wives, you want to have a happy home? Be filled with the Spirit. Sing God's praises. Give him thanks. All right? Love the Lord. Be in submission to each other. All right? Listen to each other and recognize the value that Christ has placed on your partner and thank God that he's given to you a counselor and a friend more than likely the person who will be holding your hand on the day of your death. Okay. Um, you know, the uh, sadness in this life is that eventually, you know, like we say in the wedding service until death, do we part. And as much as husbands love their wives and wives love their husbands, generally uh, we do live with the knowledge that more than likely one's going to go before the other. So, Husbands, generally the guys die first, okay? Uh, that, you know, women seem to outlive men, but not always. But the point is, is that, you know, love your wife because, you know, she may very well be the, the one holding your hand on the day of your death. And she'll, she'll definitely, hopefully, if you treat her right, she'll be the one crying and, and mourning you, okay? It could be the other way, too. But the point is, you don't understand, maybe we don't. I'm not trying to blame anybody here. Uh, you know, how valuable your partner is and what a gift God has given to you. Uh, from the four things Paul mentioned, we recognize that's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. So in light of this glorious truth, all that comes after in the book of Ephesians really is based upon this idea of being filled with the Spirit, setting a good example and loving the Lord. May God bring this about in our lives by his Holy Spirit, because we don't do this by the power of the flesh or our own innate goodness if we had any, and we don't comes about by God's grace and the work of the Holy Spirit in us. So may God be pleased to give us loving, happy homes. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus Christ, Heavenly Father also, and, and you, Lord God, the Holy Spirit, work in us, we pray, that which is well-pleasing in your sight. Forgive us our sins. Those of us who are husbands, forgive us where we've not followed your word as we ought to. We pray for the, the wives that are here. Help them also. Be merciful to them. I help them to understand what you want them to do and how they are to live, and husbands also, Lord. So we just pray you bless us, bless our children, bless our families, bless your church. We thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, that you have so graciously, Lord, set a value upon us, Lord, when there was none. You made us what we are. If there's anything good in us, it's by your work, Lord, and we give you all the praise and thanks. So, Father, we ask you now to bless us and be with us, for we ask this in Jesus Christ's name.